5. We are continuing our study through this, uh, this chapter and the Sermon on the Mount. This is, um, we, we have this section to where we understand the Lord had said previously as he started the Sermon on the Mount, um, how it is that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And he also said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what we need to understand is that as we continue through this section, um, there is something that that introduced uh, from 21, uh, verse 21, all the way through to the end of the chapter. And that is verse 20, which says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is going to make it abundantly clear uh, what really God meant when he laid the law out and the spirit of the law. You see, up to this point, as we can very well do ourselves, um, we can go by the letter of the law to such an extent that we miss the point of the law itself. And at the same time, we can't minimize the law and make it something that it isn't. And so that's something that we're going to continue to receive clarification from the Lord Jesus Christ as he interprets the law and he clarifies what exactly God meant when he gave the law to Moses in the first place. Now, I want to remind you of the very fact that God is sovereign and has perfect knowledge of his word. Wouldn't you say? He knows exactly what he meant by it. Jesus taught with perfect authority because he was the authority. He is God. Jesus is the second person in the Trinity. It is not God the Father and then the Son and the Spirit, but it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, right? Equally sovereign, equally God. Now, the religious leaders of the time had been interpreting the law in their own way, really not possessing a true understanding of the law. And then they, they illustrated it in by, uh, by the way they went about their lives. God is about to speak to that end and determine really what he meant by what he said. Jesus goes over six areas of the law that the scribes and the Pharisees were wrongly interpreting. We've gone through two already. We're going to go through two this morning. And this serves as a correction to what they had perceived and interpreted the law to be up to this point, how it is that they were applying it. Today, we have many people who claim to be Christians and others who genuinely are Christians but have either an ignorant or a skewed interpretation of Scripture or twist it with full knowledge because they are self-serving and want to justify their ways of living. And really, that's what it comes down to. If I could be just perfectly honest and blunt with you, that's really what it comes down to. You know, we have this type of Christianity at times to, to where we're interpreting what God meant in such a way that it fits our lifestyle and what we want to justify in doing. 
And it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. There are people who will say things that sound good, but are wrong. And other people who also do not know Scripture and will get pulled into believing these lies and pass them off as God's Word when it's not. We hear this in the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. How it is that if you just have enough faith, you will have that in fill in the blank. You know, a nice 5,000 square foot home or more and you'll be driving a Bentley and so on and so forth. That's, that's not it. That's not the, the word that I teach. But it sounds good. I mean, I want that, right? <laughs> but listen, we, we need to be students of the Word of God. We need to know what He says and what He meant by it in order that we may not be fooled by the things which people teach that are contrary to the Word of God in context. In context. The people of Jesus' time had a false and superficial, self-serving interpretation of Moses. But Jesus brings clarity to these subjects. And we're going to cover divorce and oaths or promises, or swearing. Not the bad words, but swearing as in a promise. We're going to be covering those two subjects. And I pray that we receive God's Word for the truth that it is. And allow God's Word to correct perhaps any misconceptions that you came through those doors with. Because I know we all have sometimes these misconceptions. We have these preconceived notions of what God's Word is. And I can go probably through a list of them that are common to us today. So let's begin by reading through uh, these verses. We're going to be reading through uh, 31 through 37, and then we'll continue on. The Lord Jesus, as he continued, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Father, we want to see things the way they should be seen. Seen through your eyes, Lord, as they truly are. And I pray, Lord, that this morning as we uh, receive your interpretation of your word, that we would better understand what you mean, what you say about divorce, about adultery, and how to handle our marriages in light of the word of God. I pray also that you would help us to understand uh, to be men and women of integrity. That when we say yes, it truly means yes, and we need no further support. When we say no, we mean no, because we've thought it through. 
and we mean what we say. May you help us to be truly men and women of integrity who are honorable and say exactly what we mean. And so, Lord, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's talk about divorce. Divorce, uh, the divorce rate in the U.S. Anyone have any idea what the divorce rate is right now in the U.S.? Take a stab. 65? 52? It's good. 70? Yeah. And those are all right. It all depends on where you live. The overall divorce rate, uh, you know, we normally look at uh, the divorce rate that was given in the 1980s. Because what was said then was that for all of those who were married in the 70s and the 80s, there would be a divorce rate of upwards of 40 to 50%. And then from there, we forecast the divorce rate of the coming decade and so on and so forth. Now, from 2006 to 2010, 68% of marriages would last 10 years. 52% would last 20 years. Divorce is more common during the first five years of marriage, or yeah, divorce is more common during the first five years of marriage than at any other time. So it's very volatile. It's that time that uh, it's, it's sensitive and not sure if we're going to make it through the first five years of marriage. Now, I do want to say this, that being sexually active before, before the age of 18 and, being, and having multiple partners up to the point of marriage, actually drastically increases your chances of divorce. Now, let me put it to you this way. When you do get married, whether you like it or not, if that describes you, there will be a comparison throughout that time, especially in your early years of marriage, to those other people that you had been with up to that point. Now, this isn't God's design for man and woman to come together. Premarital sex is not something that is um, allowed, something that perhaps there's a concession that's made in the Bible for it. You know, we say, in the eyes of the Lord, we're married. So, baby, let's, you know. No. That's actually completely contrary. And I'll tell you this, ladies, if you have a guy that's telling you that, then he really doesn't respect you. And he definitely does not honor the Lord. I would suggest to you that you pull back, okay, and stay close to the Lord and pray for him. Maybe he does come to that place to where he comes to his senses and he comes to the Lord and he understands that uh, he needs to first love God and then love you and learn to love you and honor you. The other way around too. Because I know that guys can also get pressured into that very same thing. Guys, be very careful. Be very careful. Because that's something that in today's society, in today's day and age, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. And that's been going on for for decades. It's not anything that's new. But we want to look at what it is that God says about the institution of marriage. 
what it is that God says about divorce. We want to learn what he has to say. Now, divorce is kind of a moving target due to different social trends, especially today. We have many people who are not getting married but are living together. So they're kind of outside the radar. You know, we we can't say, well, they're not married, so they can't get divorced, right? So when they split up, we don't have that in the numbers. But they're out there as well. Today, at least one out of three marriages will end up in divorce. And in larger cities like L.A., New York, San Francisco, Chicago, you know, you go on down and you know all the large cities, one out of two marriages ends up in divorce. Those who do get married. Divorce, the bottom line is this, divorce breaks up the family unit. And no matter what kind of, quote-unquote, arrangement the parents make, the family is split, and you definitely deal with the consequences of it. There's no way of escaping it. And by the way, the grass is not greener on the other side. What we need to do as husbands and wives is water and fertilize our own grass and make others envious and really look to our marriage. We really do, really do. Because I'll tell you what, you get married, again, you will bring the same problems into that marriage and you will have to deal with them. Again, we want to see things the way God sees them. The family is the foundation of any society. A nation that makes divorce easy is a nation that's on its way to immorality, depravity, self-indulgence, and overall moral decay. Now, I, I remember I, I get, off on, get off on Center Street as I'm going home, and there are these little simple signs, and I'm sure you've all seen them. And it just says, easy divorce, and it has a number. It says, liar, liar, pants on fire. You know, that's not true. It's like, there's no easy divorce. There really isn't. Not, not one. Now, history shows that in the decades leading up to the fall of the Grecian and Roman empires, that marriage was held in such low esteem that the women would keep count of the number of divorces that they had by the number of rings that they had on their finger. Imagine that. You see, the world has its own standard of morality. But when compared to biblical standards, it's very low. In fact, it's not a standard at all. Talk about a moving target. You ask anyone. I I mean, I've seen on social media the question, what do you believe marriage to be? And I was curious. I had to read down, you know, through all the comments of what people thought marriage meant and wow it was it was interesting it was very sad because none of those things will help a husband and a wife stay together it was all about being self-centered and happy does he or she make you happy does he or she fulfill you uh uh, do you uh, have the same interests in mind and uh, at heart and so on and so forth? And I'll tell you what, 
The Lord did not put two people together to make you happy. Okay? He puts you together so that you will be holy. Okay? The happiness, really, that we should look to, the object of our joy, the object of our satisfaction and fulfillment in everything should be in one person and one person alone. And that's in Jesus Christ. Because if you're not satisfied in Him, if you don't come under His authority, then what happens is you will always be looking to whether it be your spouse or your children or your friends or your career or your hobbies or something else to bring you that satisfaction and you will never find it. It's all vanity. It's all empty. If you are satisfied and content with the Lord then you will do everything to bring Him joy and honor Him within your marriage. What we need to remember this morning is that Jesus was addressing His followers on the subject of divorce. People who believe the authority of God's Word for their lives. What Jesus refers to here is found in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And if you'd like to... With me, turn, your, to your, uh, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 24, starting in verse 1. So it's the fifth book of the Bible. So Deuteronomy chapter 24, starting in verse 1. And I'd like to read this together with you. When a man takes a wife... And marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts in her hand and sends her out of his house. And she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now, we need to... I'm I'm going to continue. I'm not going to stop there uh, because... We're going to move on, and and the Lord will give the interpretation for exactly what we just read. You could look at that, and you could go along all kinds of different paths in regards to that, making certain distinctions as to how you're going to go about doing that. The Israelites did. There were numerous... Jewish tradition surrounding the law of the Old Testament that were taking precedence over the true spiritual interpretation of the law. That's what Jesus' point was here on the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said of old, but I say. So he's giving clarity. He's giving a proper interpretation of the law here as he sits there and speaks to his disciples. The law was put in place to protect women from wrongful treatment by their husbands, to be at least given a certificate of divorce. 
to be divorced for frivolous reasons, well, that was happening at an alarming rate at that time. And without a certificate of divorce, a woman would be considered to be a prostitute, promiscuous, adulterous. And so with this, God gave them, hey, listen, if you're going to divorce, give them a certificate of divorce that they could move on and not be considered to be a whore, which sounds awful and is awful. But God gave the law to Israel in order to make it difficult to get a divorce, not easy. Not to be something that the people could go in and out of at will. It seems like that's the case today, isn't it? It's like, you know, we hey, we gave it a shot. It's been at least six months. And uh, we just got to move on, right? You know what's sad is, People who are saying that at 6 years, 16 years, 26 years, 36 years, people are getting divorced? Are serious? I mean, you've put all that into your marriage and you're getting divorced after 26 years, 30 years? What's wrong with you? That, I don't know. But this was designed, and we'll see exactly why in a few moments, to make it difficult for people to think about what they were doing. During Jesus' time, there were two schools of thought regarding divorce. The school of Shammai, uh, well, he said uncleanness meant sexual immorality or adultery. Thus, adultery was the only valid reason that someone could get a divorce. The other was the school of Hillel, which uncleanness meant almost anything. Um, By the way, if a wife spoiled the food, like burnt the food, yeah, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and write you a certificate of divorce. Maybe better luck next time, right? Learn how to cook. It could be if she spoke disrespectfully of him. He could find out. Here you go. Hasta la vista. Maybe we'll see you out out in town, but we're done. So many different reasons, and they were, (laughs) by the way, this viewpoint was very, very popular at the time, especially with the men. The ultimate motives behind this view was uh, the freedom, quote unquote, that these people would have in their lust, in their self-indulgence. That's really the bottom line, what they wanted to practice. There are multiple schools of thought today. Just ask the world and they'll give you all sorts of reasons. If you're no longer happy or fulfilled, the things that I said earlier, reaching your goals, lost your passion or love each other, gone in separate ways regarding goals in life, all of this, it's okay to get, it's okay to get a divorce. And I'm sure you've heard all kinds of reasons for it, right? On this website, Wonders List, I want to quote this. Quote, World of Warcraft is one of the biggest selling games in the world, but the makers didn't expect it to be a marriage breaker. When Jocelyn, a 28-year-old gamer, presented her husband, Peter, with the World of Warcraft game for Christmas, that is exactly what they got. 
When Peter got the game in 2004, he got so involved in it, he began to neglect himself and his wife. He stopped doing his chores as well as stopped paying the bills. In a matter of nine months of playing the game, their six years of marriage was called off. If only there was a reset button for their life as there is in the game. Close quote. Warcraft? Really? I'm sorry, guys. I'm, I, must be, I must be old school. And the reason I say that is this. I grew up with Atari. Yeah. Pong. Right? And I was given a time limit by my mom. It was like, okay. And she, by the way, hated Atari. She says, that's the devil. You know, no, but not really. She didn't say that, but mom, I'm just kidding. Um, but she what she did not really like those types of games. Um, she didn't even care for TV. I mean, in those days, um, it wasn't black and white, but pretty close. Um, we had channels two, four, five, seven, nine, eleven, and thirteen. And then if you put it on UHF and hit some of the, you had other channels. You youngsters, you don't even know. You have no clue. And if uh, you wanted a, a good reception, then your dad had you, had you go touch the antenna and start moving it, right? No, but listen. Okay, so... And I will share this with you, okay? A 28-year-old gamer. The whole term gamer is is something that applies in my time to little kids. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, I acted like a child. But when I grew up, right? There's a time to grow up. There's responsibilities. There's things that you need to tend to. And I'm sorry to say that I... I I personally, and this is me, this is not the Word of God, okay? There are other things that we need to be responsible about as adults and tend to. Marriage is one, the house is the other, our kids is another, our careers, the very Word of God. Don't tell me you don't have time to study the Word of God when you spend three hours a day as a gamer. And you know more about the games that you play than you do about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't. How, how can you? Now, again, that's a side note. That's me. Hopefully you understand me as a pastor. My desire is for you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, not World of Warcraft or whatever it is that you have. Or, or sports. We can talk about sports. You want to talk about sports? <laughs> we can talk about sports too. If you know more about your team and the individual players and their stats than you do about the Apostle Paul, James, Peter, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, if you, if you know more about them than you do about the Bible, there's, there's something wrong. You know your team's schedule, but you have no idea where the books of the Bible are. Come on, guys. Can I get an amen? You, you guys understand what I'm talking about, right? All right. Deep breath, right? Hopefully you understand where I'm coming from. 
This is all said with love, and we need to hear this. We need to, like, sober up. We, we really do. We need to wake up, okay? The Lord is coming soon, and I hope you're living with that anticipation. We see things going on overseas, whether it be North Korea, Iran, whether we see things at home with this amazing, crazy thing that happened yesterday in Charlottesville, Virginia, where we have one person that was killed because they were run over by someone who, I, I can't believe there's racism still today. When I went to Meridian, Mississippi for, in, in the Navy, and I went there for an A school, I went there for a schooling, and they told us that we were secure to the base because the KKK was demonstrating in town, I was shocked. Why? Because I'm from California, Southern California, and I truly thought that all of that existed in history books and not literally in my beloved United States of America. And I was shocked. And yesterday we had um, the, what is the, the nationalist, white nationalists and the Nazis and the KKK basically coming together to demonstrate? Really? I mean, so ignorant. And, and they'll pull this out and like quote certain things completely out of context. That's not my God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's not just certain people, that, but everyone together. Jesus died on the cross for all of us. We have so much going on in the world. We need to be concerned about the things of God. We need to walk in a manner that is worthy of the salvation that we have been given by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We need, we need to focus on the important things. What are your priorities? What are your priorities? Certainly, and I hope not, it is these things that take our attention away from our marriages. Why did Moses allow for divorce? Well, turn with me back to Matthew chapter 19. And, this, and then we, we will see exactly why it is that Moses allowed for divorce. And Jesus, again, gives us clarity on this. He gives the interpretation. So in Matthew chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together... Let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, 
Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And you can say, as we say today, he dropped the mic. Right? It's like, end. That's it. Done. Any questions? This is, Jesus is giving the reason why it was that Moses even gave the allowance of divorce or this certificate of divorce to be issued. It was for that reason. Jesus is consistent in his teaching on the subject of divorce in both instances. In chapter 19, as we read there, and also in chapter 5 that we're covering this morning. God never meant for a divorce to be easy. Marriage was meant to be observed and honored, fought for, built, and lived out to the glory of God. According to Jesus, in Matthew 19, he has a high standard for marriage. In fact, let's turn, if you want to see what marriage is all about, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, we're going to go through verses 22 through 33. Verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let's stop there just for a moment because there is that word submit. And it's so, so hard, right? You know what? It's not, it doesn't give the wives a secondary place within the marriage. I just read how it was that the man and the woman come together and they become one. Right? It's not a lesser. It's like, for instance, in, um, in a company or in any organization, there is an org chart and you follow that. Can the company function without those who are entry-level workers? Most of the time, the answer is no. Middle management, no. Upper management, yeah, maybe. (laughs) But they all have equal value in the overall perspective of that company. They really are. They just serve in different ways. Okay? Now, let's take that to a more uh, applicable and, and direct application and that is the family in god's eyes we all have the same value our kids are no less valuable than we are our wives are no less valuable than we are this is all to have order to have some kind of order and so as the wife submits to the husband in authority in that person that is okay you have the final word fine Sometimes, ladies, you have to duck. Because the Lord is trying to do a work 
in your husband and you're in the way. You get what I'm saying? See, you're trying to do the work and the, actually the Lord is trying to do that work in your husband. So, because really as you submit to, to that place that your husband has within the family, within the marriage, what you're doing is you're submitting and honoring ultimately the Lord. That's the bottom line. Why? Because this is what his word tells us. Now, men, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." Many more words for the guys, right? Because really, quite frankly, it all come back, comes back on you. Your wife, by the way, is a reflection of you. So would you not be tending to your wife? Would you not be building her up according to the word of God? Would you not fight for her? Would you not be her covering? Of course, right? Well, It takes diligent effort. It takes full knowledge of what God expects. Not the world. Forget the world. Okay? What does God expect of you? And what does God expect of your wife? I'll tell you what. She will be way more willing to follow you if you are following closely behind the Lord. She will because she knows. She knows that you're in the right place. She knows that there's no willing compromise that's in your heart. Otherwise, I'll tell you what, it's difficult for the woman to hold that place because God has given them strength. And they are people, individuals, who if they love the Lord more than you do, they will assume that leadership role, which is not their place within the the marriage nor within the family. The man needs to take that role. So husbands, be the pastors of your home. Okay? Can you imagine if, um, if Jesus just, you know, laid down in a different way? Because we are, we are to love our wives as Jesus loved. Yeah. What did he do? He laid down his life. He, he was willing to go all the way to the cross, right? That's why divorce is so awful. It's awful. Because it falls short of reflecting this kind of relationship. That's what it does. That's why it's not good. And you deal with its consequences. So how does Jesus interpret the law? That is what's important. His interpretation, not the world's. And even when there is a sexual immorality. Let me, let me also talk about that. God desires repentance, reconciliation, and restoration above divorce. Because we know that the Bible tells us that God hates divorce. Okay? God hates divorce. It's amazing, but um, 
I know that not only is it possible to get through it, but it's amazing what God has in store for the, the couple that has perhaps gone through infidelity, but perseveres, continues to go forward. There's forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration. And I can tell you that the marriage, even beyond that, can bless and honor the Lord in ways that you would never imagine. Marriage is not to be entered lightly. For Christians, there should be no reason for divorce if you're living under the authority of God's word. For you young people here, be wise, go slow, remain pure, set up certain standards and parameters to your relationship that you will not cross. Be wise, look to the Lord, stay close to him. Make sure that your relationship with a person of the opposite sex does not take the place of your relationship with the Lord. Because if that's hindering your relationship with the Lord, then you need to question that. The other person should be encouraging you to draw closer to the Lord, not causing a wedge between you and the Lord. You need to be equally yoked. Um... Missionary dating is normally not very successful. What I mean by that is that, you know, your parents, if they're walking with the Lord, they'll ask you, well, is he or she, you know, are they a believer? Well, no, but, you know, they're pretty good, you know, and uh, I, I think, you know, if I bring them to church and they hear the gospel, maybe, you know, they'll, they'll come to the Lord. No, I mean, it's, it's, have you ever done that exercise to where, um, what is it, someone is, is laying down on the ground and they, and you try and pick them up? A hand. Who's the one that has the leverage? Is it you that's pulling them up or the, the person who's down on the ground? Person who's on the ground will normally be able to pull the person who's standing up, uh, right down, right down. And that's, that's what I've seen. In my experience, and what I've seen, is that the person who is not walking with the Lord normally, at some point, will cause the one walking with the Lord to compromise. Just know that marriage is a decision that you live out for the rest of your lives. It's an institution that was ordained by God. Speaking of promises, let's move on to the next subject. Again, back in Matthew chapter 5. And that is promises or oaths as we see here. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil, or the evil one. There are some cults that won't allow their members to salute the American flag, or take an oath in court, or recite the Pledge of Allegiance. The reason is because they take these very words out of context and give them a twisted meaning. They neglect the rest of the counsel of God, the word of God. Because we know that Paul took oaths. We know that Jesus even answered under oath. 
And so they take this completely out of context. To salute, to salute the American flag or anyone that is higher ranking in the military is to honor and pay respect for what it stands for and honor someone of higher ranking, to acknowledge them. To take an oath in court is to promise to tell the truth and to acknowledge God. God's the ultimate judge that knows the truth, even the intents of our heart. To recite the Pledge of Allegiance is to be loyal to the country that you have been blessed to live in. And by the way, here lately, I've seen a complete disloyalty to this blessed country that we've been blessed to live in. But what Jesus is addressing and correcting is what was commonly known at the time. The Pharisees had many traditions concerning the taking of oaths uh, that weren't consistent with the Old Testament laws, with the teachings of the Old Testament. Here's what was commonly known at the time. Jewish tradition said that oaths were binding if they contained the title of deity. But if they did not contain the title of deity, then they were not binding, even though it was a promise. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you something right now. Um, no, I'm just kidding. You, you know what this is, right? You, you cross your legs, you know, and you say it, something, and then, well, it wasn't really true because I was crossing my legs or I was crossing my fingers. Um, it's, you know what? That's what it sounds like, though. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, I know I made this promise, but I, I, I didn't invoke the name of the Lord, therefore it's not binding. But you promised. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything, though. It was just to manipulate you. Therefore, what they would do is avoid the Lord's name in, the, in their oaths. It's like when they were told not to number the people. You know this one, right? They were, they were told about, don't number the people. Why? Because it was a, this kind of a puffing up of uh, being prideful of the numbers, right? So this is how they would do it. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. So they weren't counting because it was not, not that. Jesus covers all of these things. Heaven, well, it's God's throne. The earth, you want to swear on earth? It's his footstool. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, no, it's the city of the king. It belongs to him. It doesn't belong to you. Oh, well, I mean, I belong to me. I can do whatever I want with me. No, you can't make one breath. You can't cause even your heart to beat. You can't do any of those things. You can't even make a hair on your head. Can you? Okay, so if you could, you, you people that are now a little more mature, if you could make one hair on your head white or black, which one would you choose? See? So if you could do it, you'd do it, but you can't do it, right? You, just, you can't. You can't control that. So what Jesus is doing is pointing out the faultiness of their reasoning for swearing in the manner in which they have sworn up to this point. 
You see, everything belongs to God, so there's nothing that belongs to the person by which they can back what they're saying up with. Like, there's like this collateral. You don't have any collateral. We don't have any collateral. Nothing that we could back it up with. Why, why do you need collateral anyway? Aren't you good for what you say? And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, listen. This whole thing about swearing. Oh, talk about swearing. This was funny as I was going through my studies. So this was brought up. Well, if you swear by the temple, it's not binding. Oh, but if you swear by the gold in the temple, then it's binding. What, what's of more value? The temple that contains the Spirit of God or the gold within it? For us, where God places values in each and every one of you, those of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ, He is your Lord, He is your Savior. There's this amazing value that He puts in you. That is His Spirit. We are the temples of His Spirit, which is absolutely amazing. So, He's pointing out the faultiness of their reasoning for swearing the way they have been up to that point. Everything belongs to God. Their swearing had really no real weight. Promises were just a way of their language like it is today. You know, you have people that say, I swear, the other day, you know people that start out like, that's, what, that's, the, way, that's the way they talk, right? And they use other things. Promise, man, that was the truth. And that even serves as a strategy to get others to agree to our way of thinking. The people made oaths, promises. They swore with no intention in fulfilling them. And Jesus is interpreting the law once more. There's this poem that has been kind of revised through the ages. It's more folklore. And it goes like this. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Wait a moment, I spoke a lie. I never really wanted to die. But if I may, and if I might, my heart is open for tonight. Though my lips are sealed and a promise is true, I won't break my word, my word to you. You heard that? You've heard the beginning of it, right? Yeah. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a thousand needles in my eye, right? No. Really, the bottom line is this. Be a man or a woman of integrity. No oaths. You don't have to add any words to it. No swearing. Just simply let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Keep your promises. Follow through on what you've said. Have you made a promise to your spouse? Keep it. Have you made a promise to your kids? Keep it. Have you made a promise to your employer? Keep it. Have you made a promise to your church? Keep it. Have you made a promise to your friends? Keep it. I mean, the point of the matter is, is be a person of your word. Have some integrity. Be honorable as a person. Remember that you are ambassadors of Christ. You are His representatives. 
So in order to honor him, we need to reflect that integrity that Jesus is making abundantly clear was what he meant by what he said. Now, does this mean that a Christian can't take an oath? Well, I see that Scripture does permit us to take an oath with an individual or perhaps with a state, provided we're taking this oath with, in, in a solemn manner. Fully knowing that really we're taking this oath first and foremost before the Lord. Okay? Because it's not to say that you can't, like, I promised my wife, when you, when you exchanged vows on your wedding day, you're making a vow. You're making promises before the Lord. And that's, that's why it is that we need to recognize who it is that ultimately we're making the promises to. Really, it should be something to where if we've written our own vows or they're written for us, that it's not looking into each other's eyes, but it's looking to the Lord and making our promises to Him. Because when she or he fails us in some way, shape, or form, we need to be reminded that it's a promise first and foremost to the Lord. So these oaths, yes, they can be taken as long as we understand that we need to follow through immediately. Because God loves obedience more than sacrifice. Jesus didn't refuse to take an oath before the high priest in Matthew chapter 26 and the apostle Paul in multiple places, but also in Acts chapter 18 he took the Nazarite vow. The Christian is able to take an oath, but should not be the one actually to initiate the oath. His word, uh, oath should be trusted. His word should be trusted. If you're giving your oath because someone asks for it or requires it of you, then gladly give it, knowing that this oath, again, is first and foremost before the Lord. Oaths or promises are permitted under certain circumstances, but should never be abused or used deceptively. What Jesus is teaching his disciples is to live lives of simple honesty and righteousness, knowing that God sees all, knows all, and judges all. Because God hates lying. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no, let your words have weight, and may you be known to follow through with what you say. Now, in closing... I want to say that it's marriage is beautiful. And perhaps some of you have, have already, you've gone through a divorce, you're remarried, or you have not remarried. Let me tell you something. That in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, God loves reconciliation, loves restoration. He loves to forgive us if we are genuine in our repentance. He says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Perhaps you're sitting here and it's just hitting you right between the eyes, the word of God. Just know that conviction comes that leads to repentance, which leads to... Do you know what it means? Or what it says, repentance, which leads to life. Leads to life in Christ. Why? Because when we repent... We, we acknowledge our sin and how it is that we fell short. And then God tells us that's exactly what you needed to admit to. And when you do that, he, he brings you close and he embraces you. He says, son, daughter, from here on out, 
We can walk together closely. You can honor me in this very place that you're in right now. If you've fallen short before, the awesome part is, and it's beautiful, is that there is forgiveness as we confess our sins to him. And we are covered by his grace. We may have had other thoughts regarding these subjects, but I hope that Jesus clarified a few things this morning for you, not only for the Christians of his time, as he was speaking to them, but also for us today in the church. And again, it's all to his glory. It's all to understand what he means by his word. And I pray that you walk away, hopefully understanding God's grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his plan and purpose for marriage and for you, how to live in society within your family, within the very place that you're working, your neighborhood and everywhere else. All to his honor and all to his glory. Let's pray. Father, we are truly thankful for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to remember, to know, to learn, and understand your word, to have that wisdom to not only have knowledge of the truth, but also uh, understand how to rightly apply it in our lives. Lord, bless these marriages. Lord, I pray that you would give us your perspective on marriage, that we would honor you, that as we love you, that you teach us how to love our wives and for the wives how to love their husbands and And Lord, how it is that that would be an example for our children to emulate, to follow, and to see and honor you with in the marriages that they go into. And so, Father, we are truly thankful once more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.